On today's episode, we're going to talk about one of the major factors causing real estate agents to question their entire real estate career. We're going to talk about how Ryan Serhant is getting sued by Keller Williams in Philadelphia and the housing market. It continues to act very strangely. So all of that more coming up. So before we jump in today's episode, if you're a real estate agent, you're looking to build a listing-based business, you're looking to generate a multiple six-figure income without having to work nights, work weekends, buy leads that never convert, I'll put a link so you can find out more about our Listing Agent Academy. And so with that, let's jump into today's show. All right, so I want to talk about something that I see all the time that's happening. I'm getting a lot of messages from real estate agents. I'm having a lot of uh, conversations with agents that I'm coaching, and that is the fact that most agents are they feel a lot of them feel down about their results because they continue to compare themselves to other real estate agents. Now, maybe when I when I say that to you, you say, okay, yeah, so what 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 is the big deal with these agents comparing themselves to another agent? Well, we know that social psychologists, there's all kinds of studies to support the fact that what we what what works better for success and results ultimately is is not comparing ourselves to others but rather comparing ourselves to really ourselves in that how do we continue to level up how do we continue to get better how do we continue to strengthen our skills our mindset our beliefs and our actions and we have to start to look in the mirror versus looking at others. And the, and the problem with comparing to others is this, a couple things rather. The vast majority, and I talked about this on another episode, but the vast majority of real estate agents, whether successful or not, and however you define success is different for everybody. But, but what, what I mean is, and, and what I see is on social media, you only see the upside. You only see the good news. You only see real estate agents posting on social media when something good has happened. That's the vast majority of the social media posts from real estate agents. Oh, look at me. I'm at another closing, another open house. Check out my new listing. That is all we see on social media. Now, think about the real estate agent that maybe is having a very difficult time. And all they see on social media is all these other agents and all the success that they're having. Well, I want to remind you of this. And never forget this. That rarely, if ever, do you see real estate agents posting the downside, the dark side, the truth of what's actually happening in their business and in their life. Because when you pull behind the curtain, you all know the stats. Most real estate agents are selling four or five, six houses per year. But the only time you hear from them is when they're posting one of those wins. And so the real estate agent that's struggling, that's comparing themselves, and all they're doing is scrolling on Instagram or they're scrolling on Facebook, seeing all their friends and all their colleagues in the marketplace post about all their success. Well, keep in mind, although those, not to take anything away from what those agents are posting or 
the success that they're having. But if if real estate agents were honest and they started posting all of the losses and all of the struggles and all of the downside, believe me when I tell you that social media would be flooded with a hundred times more content because as much as these agents post about, hey, my new closing, the, the reality is most agents most of the time aren't reaching their goals and most of them are truly, and I don't mean any disrespect, it's just the reality, they're trying to they're they're more concerned rather with looking successful on social media than actually being successful. I'm not even kidding. I'm talking about their wardrobe, what they're going to post, how many times they can of this house they sold this month, how many times can I squeeze that result in posting on social media to get as much look at me opportunities as possible. That's what most agents are concerned with. They're not concerned with, okay, how do I get another listing? How do I get another closing? Because the reality is they don't know when that next closing will happen. So I have to make the most of this opportunity. So the point is this, that be careful you're not taking these posts out of context. That every time you flip on your phone, you see another agent getting another listing and you maybe that's struggling saying to yourself, what the hell? Look at all these agents getting all these listings, and I'm sitting here and getting nothing. Well, right, but that could be their only listing this quarter. So that's number one. Number two, the other danger with comparing yourself to others is you don't know what chapter they are on in their own book. I often say this to a lot of agents that I coach. Comparing your chapter one to somebody's chapter 10 is extremely dangerous for your emotional well-being. I see this all the time. I will have a new real estate agent join the Listing Agent Academy. Maybe they're in their first year of being in business, and they'll see one of our coaching students get 10 listings in a week. When that agent hasn't had 10 listings in a year, you can't compare the two. Because one person's been prospecting, having 40, 50 conversations for 14 years. I've been coaching this person for the last five years. They have a massive pipeline, massive database. They get repeat and referral business. They're having, like I said, a lot more conversations than maybe that agent that's just starting. So to compare yourself to that person, you're setting yourself up for, for, for massive frustration. So what do I recommend you do instead? You, it's your business. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I will tell you what has helped others and then take from it what you will. Rather than try to compare yourself to other people, create a 30-day action plan. Things that are inside your control. What we're talking about specifically when it relates to your business. I'll keep the personal stuff out of it. I'm talking about the length of time that you're going to prospect over the next 30 days, the amount of outbound dials that you're going to make over the next 30 days, the amount of conversations you want to have over the next 30 days, the number of leads you're going to generate, the number of appointments you're going to set, the number of appointments you're going to go on, and the number of listings you will take. When you create this action plan over the next 30 days, 
Your goal is to have that plan in front of you and execute the plan. That's part one. Part two, the most important part of this process is to do what we call a monthly business review. That at the end of the month, we look at the 30-day plan and we say to ourselves, okay, what was the plan versus what did I actually do and what were the results that I produced? And going into that following month, now the goal is to beat the last 30 days. That's the game that you play. That's the game that if you continue to play month over month, year over year, you will continue to level up. If you're always focused on beating the last 30 days, last, last maybe last month you had 197 conversations or contacts. Now this month, you're going to say, well, I'm going to beat that. I'm in control of how many people I talk to. I'm going to do 250 conversations this month. I'm going to do 350 conversations this month. And you continue to level up month over month over month over month. What I know you will find, not only will your business increase, which is why we're doing this, but it puts your attention to things that you can control and the things that you maybe deem hard right now, you'll look back a year from now and say, oh my gosh, I remember the month beginning of 2023 when I was only doing 200 contacts a month. Now I'm doing 200 contacts a week. And you'll see how much your actions have grown over time. And as a result, your results double, triple, quadruple because you're not comparing to others, but you're constantly improving yourself by reviewing what you've done over the past 30 days. So if you want help putting one of those plans together, you want to have a coaching relationship, someone to help you execute that plan, like I said at the beginning of this video, feel free to click the link in the description. You can find out more about coaching with me. You can find out more about the Listing Agent Academy and decide if it's for you or not. All right, so the next thing I want to talk about on today's show is the fact that Mr. Ryan Serhant is being sued by a Keller Williams in Pencil or uh, in Philadelphia. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of go through this new report that just got released last week. I tried to get the the plaintiff on the on the show today. They're going to get back to me. Hopefully I can because I really want to get their take on this. Because I have dealt with this, and I've been on both sides of this equation. I'm sure most of you listening or watching the show have some experience with what's happening with this with this major lawsuit that just got filed. So let me read the suit, and then we'll kind of unpack it. So a um, a Pennsylvania brokerage accused Sir Hant, who is a Philadelphia-based broker of a scheme to loot the company for the New York's founding firm expansion to the Keystone State. Okay, Keller Williams Black Label is the plaintiff. They named the two-year-old brokerage founder, Ryan Serhant, amongst others, who one of the, the people named in the suit, her name was Andrea Adri who was a newly recruited Pennsylvania team leader for this Keller Williams brokerage. In the complaint, they they claimed that Sirhant, amongst others, 
are stealing clients' intellectual property, confidential information, while crippling its ability to operate. The brokerage and its parent business, the Condo Shop LLC, are seeking more than $10 million in damages. The plaintiffs are also seeking a preliminary injunction barring Sirhant and this other woman from using any of their information as it alleges that they are taking essentially their intellectual property. With the scheme accomplished, defendants left Black Label as a shattered, empty shell, having stripping it from its clients, its assets, and the ability to do business. This is the claim in the complaint. So Black Label's director of marketing, Michael Skokowski, and former marketing coordinator, Kaylee Badinsky, who were allegedly recruited to join this new team or this new company that Sirhan's trading in Philadelphia by this by Andrea Adri. So Sirhant Sir and representatives for his firm did not respond. The wrongdoing stated months before any agents defected to Sirhant, during which time several defendants used black labels, which is the Keller Williams team or the Keller Williams brokerage. They claim that they used that company's marketing materials to create for Sirhant, deliberating, uh, uh, sabotaging black labels, social media accounts while claiming those accounts had been hacked. So this new team, which I think they're calling the Associate Select, had several agents resign, according to the complaint, while others provided the funding for the new team. Now, once the team was up and running, the brokers took down numerous black label listings before relisting them with the new Sirhant company. So this can go here. There's two sides of this argument. All right. So let me kind of give you my thoughts on this. Again, I'm going to try to get people from each side of this lawsuit on the podcast here uh, when I can. But I have been, you know, I have seen this go both ways. All right. You know, you've got on one hand, most of the people in real estate are in, in fact, 1099 independent contractors. And so you see, you have these companies and these brokers trying to place or trying to enforce rather these non-competes, which is probably the basis of this lawsuit. And they're very difficult to, to enforce because of people being independent contractors. Who's, who's, client is whose, and, and we don't have any access to what contracts were signed. So it's very hard to, to speculate, you know, is there, is there a basis for the claim or not? We have no idea. We don't really have any information on it yet. This story literally just dropped. But, but on one side of the equation, maybe the, and this is just what I've seen in, in my experience. It goes, it goes either way. And it just depends on kind of what side you fall on. Let, let's talk about this from the side of the, the, the Keller Williams franchise. I understand the pain that this causes a company, how debilitating this can be on a real estate team and in your operations, in your company, when you have maybe a lot of your leaders seemingly behind the scenes planning this huge thing, although meanwhile still working for your brokerage, you're still 
paying them potentially. They're still eating into your resources. They're still potentially using your resources to, to create a team or a company that soon will compete with you. That is so, it's so frustrating. And, and frustrating is probably not even, it doesn't give the pain that this is due. doesn't give it justice. That's why they're suing Sirhan for $10 million because there's a lot at stake. When you, and this is the biggest, one of the biggest issues, there's many issues in our industry, but another huge massive issue with people being 1099 independent contractors, because people are coming and going all the time. And and the biggest challenge for broker owners, team leaders, and I have been on this side and it is so painful and I don't know what you can do about it, but that is the fact that you pour everything as a great leader into people. You want them to be successful. You pour you you pour in time, energy, resources, your years and years of expertise into these people because your goal as a leader is to help your people win, right? And the most frustrating thing is inevitably those people leave. And in some cases like this one, when those people leave, they then become your direct competitor. And based on this story, not only do do a lot of times they come they become your direct competitor, the I think the the big challenge or one of the big pain points is you just used all my stuff, not only that I taught you over the last decade, you used all my material, you used all my resources, you used all my all my operations, you essentially used my business to create a, a, a competing entity that's just essentially a shell of everything we had here. And I think that's the, the claim of, of this lawsuit. That's one side of this argument. The other side of the argument is from maybe the 1099 independent contractor that says, well, I mean, that's the risk you take in being in this business, that's the cost of doing business. I'm not a W-2 employee. I'm running my own. I'm self-employed, and therefore, you know, the 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 counter argument to these claims of non-competes is that well, it's difficult to fight these in court to get a judge to say, well, yeah, you can't you can't do business. Because this is you can't create a livelihood or create an income for your for your family, and that's very difficult to to defend in court. This to me sounds a little different, though. I don't think that they're trying to go after a non compete. Potentially, we'll see when there's more information that comes out. This has to do with the stealing of the IP and proprietary information um, as a competing entity, potentially. It's a very, very painful situation. Again, I have been on both sides of this, and it's unfortunate that these things happen all too often. But there's another part of this, too, that I think is worth talking about, and that is, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game. And what I mean by that is this. On one side of the equation, you've got these big, big companies, all right, that traditionally have been massive industry disruptors. They have recruited like crazy to to build their companies, Keller Williams being one of them. And now you have all these new companies that 
So let me let me back up for a second. Keller Williams had it had had it had its day when it was the new kid in town, and they and they saw this massive massive rise in agent count. There was a day where Keller Williams were popping up; these market centers were popping up in every city across the country. And for those that remember this, for a lot of agents, it and a lot of broker owners, it caused a lot of frustration because. They would open up shop and they would put on the full court press when it comes to recruiting. I mean, they were doing everything under the sun. They were recruiting everybody and everything. I mean, that was a huge thing at Keller Williams. It's just they're they're recruiting. I mean, they've got all kinds of recruiting training and coaching and all kinds of stuff. And now where I think Keller Williams is at is in in more of a what I call it, a a holding pattern where they're trying to just stabilize because they're a massive entity and their 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 growth trajectory the way that it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago isn't what it is today they're they're more of hey how do we retain the agents that we have well now you've got all these new companies coming up and recruiting like crazy doing exactly what Keller Williams did to grow and now they don't like it i see this across the board all these lawsuits being filed and all these complaints being filed from Keller Williams team leaders and broker owners that one just not too long ago was doing the same thing that these people are now doing to them and they don't like it. They don't like the fact that their top talent and their top people are being recruited away from them when it was their own game. And so this is a very, very difficult thing. And and I'm not you know, campaigning for one or the other. I'm just bringing things, you know, I guess awareness around the truths that I see with this whole dynamic. So it's going to be interesting to find out what happens, you know, with this case. And does is there is there enough for a judge to rule in the plaintiff's favor? I've seen a lot of these not even make it that far because they settle on some type of an agreement because it is so difficult to prove all this stuff. In, in in real estate sales. So as we get more information, I will let you guys know. All right, so now let's move on to the housing market and what happened last week. This housing market continues to be, I think, one of the most strange markets that anybody has ever seen, ever. And what I mean strange is you've got, you know, people essentially just on the sideline. You've got sellers that don't want to sell. You have buyer demand that continues to go up and down, up and down. And it's heavily dependent on mortgage interest rates. And you've got all these people on the sidelines, yet you've got home sales coming down, but you don't have what I think a lot of people thought we would see, which is like this massive price decline, this massive housing market crash, as people would put it. And so what I'm going to do is on the episode that I shoot on Mondays, I'm going to give you guys just an update on what's happening more so in real time. I know I do my big monthly market updates, but I'm going to start to do these weekly. So let me give you a quick rundown of what happened last week. So active listings rose by about 8,500. Purchase applications went down again 
10%. We're going to talk about what happened. And specifically, it's because mortgage mortgage rates started off the week at about 6.6%, and they went up. They ended up a little bit higher at the end of the week. And that's what we see with mortgage applications, As and it makes sense, right? So as mortgage or as mortgage rates go down, purchase apps go up, and the exact opposite is true. Okay, so let's talk about, first off, inventory as of last week. So from April 14th through April 21st, inventory rose from 405,000 homes for sale to about 414,000 homes for sale. Let me give you some context around that. The same time last week, inventory was at about 270,000 homes for sale. So we haven't quite doubled, but you can see inventory has absolutely rose from just a year ago. The peak in 2023 was about 472,000 homes. So inventory levels still still are really low. And so for context, context matters because a lot of people that have a lot of fear and worry about this housing market or housing prices crashing, if you look at where we were at in 2015, we had over a million houses for sale. So we're sitting at about 400,000 for sale right now. And so with inventory being so low, this is helping prices to, to stay flat, essentially. I mean, we're down maybe a point from this time last year where a lot of people, based on interest rates spiking as they did, a lot of people said, okay, that's it. The housing market's over. Housing market's going to collapse. Well, we haven't seen prices dip like a lot of people thought they would. So new listing data, although hasn't recovered since last year because of the big mortgage spike, we have been trending at all-time lows still in 2023. So new listings, things coming into the market. Okay, This time last week in 2021, 70,000 homes hit the market. This time last year, 60,000 homes hit the market. And last week, 59,000 homes hit the market. So this is what I was talking about at the beginning in that home sellers don't want to move. We know why. It's because they're having a difficult time, number one, finding where to go. Number two, prices are still really, really high. And then three, rates are really high. So traditionally, people that would be moving, they're sitting on the sidelines. So again, for some historical perspective, back when housing inventories were, 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 were more normal, okay, we usually get about 90,000 homes that are hitting the market every single week. Okay, In 2016, 95,000 homes were hitting the market every week. And so new listings, people are just sitting on the sideline. So let's just look at even some more perspective as to why home prices haven't crashed. This is vitally important. If you're in the real estate industry, this is vitally important for you to understand. Even though home sales are down, a lot of people are making a lot of, it's made a lot of headlines. Home sales are down 22%. The last time home sales were down, okay, and we, and, and we looked at this and we said, okay, the last time that that happened, in, which, which was about 2007, the total active listings were over 4 million homes actively on the market. Well, right now we have 400,000 homes on the market. This is why we have not seen prices 
crash. And so, again, even though total sales are down, we're only at 980,000 total active listings. This includes new listings coming to the market, pending listings, all unsold inventory versus 4 million versus 4 million. And so this is a massive, massive difference. If we look at just inventory, the, the month's worth of supply give you more context. What, what, Cause without knowing the months of inventory, 4 million to 980,000 might not mean a lot. Well, I'll, I'll explain it right now. We're sitting at about 2.6 months worth of inventory. And traditionally speaking, anything between three and six months is still, by definition, a seller's market. If you look back to 2007, 2008, 2009, when we were sitting at about 4 million homes on the market, we had upwards of 10 months of inventory and therefore, by definition, heavily a buyer's market as prices crash because you get a lot more supply than you do demand. Well, right now, even though demand has been challenging from week to week to week to week, inventory is still sitting at record lows, which is causing this massive, weird housing market right now. Prices aren't really dipping. So let's look at purchase application data. So here's the thing. Since November 9th, right, we saw the huge mortgage rate increase last year, late last year. And so since November 9th, we've had 15 positive purchase application reports, meaning purchase applications were up versus six down reports. So every week we're trying to say, okay, well, what's happening? These were down 10% as of last week because mortgage rates went up. And the thing that's driving these mortgage interest rates is, of course, the economy. And so if the economy continues to go down the path that a lot believe that it will, and that is towards a recession, mortgage interest rates should get lower. If they get lower, maybe that gets more people off the sideline, gets this housing market moving again this spring and this summer. So the week ahead, a couple big things that are happening this week right now that I will talk about next week is Tuesday, we've got the new home sales report. So we're going to see, okay, our home sales rebounding off of last month. We're going to find out. We've got the CoreLogic Case-Shiller Home Price Report to see what is happening with prices month over month, year over year. And so as we get those reports, I will, of course, update you guys. But let me know what questions you guys have and um, or anything that I can do to support you and your real estate agent business. And we'll see you guys tomorrow or we'll see you guys on tomorrow's episode, rather.